afternoon. It's true. We just popped right open to the Bible where we're supposed to be in the book of Psalms and you in, you in the book of Mark. Well, I'll tell you, between, uh, between Mark and Psalms, when you open your Bible, it's going to flop right open to one of those two, one or the other. Amen. And we're, we're still on Psalm 64. I thought I might get a couple more, add a couple more points to the message tonight, but I don't think I'm going to get there because I decided we're going to do some scripture hopping a little bit. So, Anyway, Psalm 64 and the uh, title of the uh, series of messages we've been doing through Psalm 64 is Sticks and Stones Part 2. Again, not very original because the first one was Sticks and Stones Part 1. But this is Part 2 and we're going to be looking at uh, Psalm 64 verse 2. Uh, I was just listening again to uh, Dr. Jack Treber from out in uh, uh, North Valley Baptist Church out there and he's up around, what's he up on Terry, do you know? He's up around Psalm 100 something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, all I know is I'm not even halfway clear to where he is, in the, but but he kind of is pulling a particular topic out and dealing with it. We're kind of looking at a lot of different things as we kind of go through this area tonight. And so, well, maybe t tonight may not be one of those messages that we um, enjoy because it deals with the uh, word anger, anger, and how we deal with anger. A lot of things in this world that we can be angry about today, that's for sure. But as we progress through Psalm 64, we're going to learn through this psalm that there are always going to be people who will not like us and who will say hurtful and even destructive things against us. And uh, Peg was, uh, I guess they had announced that, uh, I don't know if it's a panel or the legislator down there, the, the, the brain trust, if you will, a brain rust trust, I guess I could call it down that way. And uh, anytime they, they go into this area of homophobia, you begin to wonder, okay, are they coming after Christians? Now in Canada, they have come after a number of preachers up there because they stood where God stands. Again, there is never ever any biblical mandate to hate homosexuals themselves. But the sinful lifestyle they have chosen to live is what we preach against. But that doesn't matter because they don't see it that way. They see it through whatever lens they want to look through it and just simply say, well, you can't have one without the other. And the truth of the matter, as I tell the wife, is that I really believe that there are homosexuals who, who are saved, but they realize it's a sin and they do not practice it. They will not touch it. They probably be very few and far between, but I believe that there probably are some out there who would do that. And, uh, or they might have been homosexuals who heard the gospel and got saved and stopped living in the homosexual lifestyle. But anyway, I believe that before the Lord comes, God's people are going to come under a lot of, a, a lot of, um, uh, not that I want to use the word scrutiny, but going to come under a lot of, uh, well, flack really for who we are, for what we stand for. Because again, we, I think I've mentioned it in the past there, and is that, is that as long as we're in the world, it's like when Jesus came into the world, he came into a dark world. And the Bible said that he was the light of the world. And he came and because he brought light into the world, all of a sudden now sin is exposed for what it really is. And as long as you and I are here and we are the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're a light. And darkness doesn't like the light. Those, those things that take place and transpire in darkness 
That's why the handlers of, our, of the President of the United States, they don't, they don't show their hand. What they do, they do in dark corners, chambers locked away so that nobody can see and nobody can hear. And then they come out and they tell you what they th think you want to hear rather than what we need to hear. But anyway, we might as well put our seatbelts on and, and we're in for a rocky road one thing or another unless the Lord comes back sooner than many of us may believe. But how are we to respond as redeemed of the Lord to these people or organizations? We shall also recognize through this time how hurtful and hateful words can be. And therefore, what is a proper biblical response for us to take when people say hurtful things and harmful things to us? Now, David has perhaps experienced one of his most mean-hearted, mean-spirited attacks against his person and his God-ordained appointment to the throne of Israel. David is sharing his struggle with his son Absalom's rebellion and his most trusted advisor, Ahithophel's complicity in the rebellion. In fact, if you read the historical account, it would really look like Ahithophel is going to manipulate and to maneuver Absalom. In other words, he's egging him on because Ahithophel has an agenda, even as did Absalom have an agenda. But there were certainly several things in David's life that led up to this rebellion by Absalom. And as well, uh, events in Absalom and Ahithophel's life that also led up to it. So it is important to understand that harboring grudges and hate is much like that which takes place beneath an active volcano. Mount St. Helens was inactive. Beneath, she was very active. And she was building up and building up and building up until eventually she could, it just blew. Let me say the same thing about many volcanoes over, over the, over the uh, decades and the millennia, if you will. But the underground activity continues to heat up until it erupts uncontrollably. Hebrews 12, verse 15 says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. The warning there is about harboring grudges. Harboring uh, grudges that manifest itself in hatefulness. Now, in that verse, it says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. To fail of the grace of God is not the loss of salvation. But the failure to allow the grace of God to guide one's responses that should be governed by spiritual maturity. So, we are saved by faith. Because of God's grace. God's grace has made it possible for you and I to get saved because of what Christ did on the cross. But his grace is very broad. It contains many things. And the grace of God is in part this, the spiritual condition of one governed by the power of divine grace. That's a part of God's grace. So that you and I can be governed by God's divine power. How much of God's grace do you think it took to forgive you of your sin and save you? Probably not any more than it took to anybody else. You don't have to be a vile, violent sinner to come to a saving faith in Christ because of God's grace. And so when you look at our lives are to be governed by the power of divine grace, we have the perfect example in the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, don't we? How he conducted himself when he was on this earth. 
So in the historical record of this rebellion, we see David, he did handle the rebellion overall as one who was governed by the power of divine grace. <clears throat> David could have stayed. David could have taken all of his soldiers that he had there, and he had uh, with the 600 or so men that were his closest, best, I don't know, you might call them the seals of his day, if you would, or the Green Berets of his day. And uh, if you've ever been in some of those cities over there, not today's cities, but if you'd seen how they were laid out, you'd realize that those cities weren't the best for hand-to-hand -hand combat in the first place because the roads were very, oftentimes very narrow, very uneven and so on there. But uh, David could have responded to take, make sure he didn't lose the city, but he chose to leave because he knew that in the process many good people would die. Some would be innocent. Some he knew were being misled because as rumors had come to David about what was going on <clears throat> and he heard about that, then he began to realize that maybe leaving the city would be the best thing to get some time to regroup and to get his heart and his mind settled and allow God. And sometimes that's, that's part of God's grace is to be able to just not immediately respond but to get along with the Lord and say, Lord, you know what this person said? You know what this person's done? You know what these people are doing along the way here? Uh, Lord, how do you want me to handle this? How do you want, how do you want me to respond? And wait until you get uh, God's leading and God's leadership in that. And so we press on in this psalm tonight to glean truths that will encourage us to surrender and be governed by the divine power of God's grace. Considering that God did this for you and I when we came to faith, accepting Christ as our Savior, God was governed by divine grace. He didn't look at us and say, you know what, that guy does not deserve to be saved. I'm not going to save that guy. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, whosoever shall call upon the lame. He does not qualify who the whomsoever is to be. And it could be the worst or it just could be just a halfway decent individual according to our standards. But whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you call upon the Lord for salvation and you mean business, then, then you, God will accept you and put your name in that land's book of life. <clears throat> so the truth of the matter is that we, uh, he accepted us in faith believing that uh, we meant business with him. So that brings us to the second point. The first point <clears throat> uh, we did last week, this week, uh, evil deeds can, can, can and do uh, spring from words. Uh, words can be very destructive. They can be very, very harmful. So Psalm 64 and verse 2. And it says, hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked. And that's, that's actually 2a. Now the rest of the verse says, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity. You know, it's hard to keep rumors canned as they usually have a way of leaking out. And so information had been making its way back to David uh, about Ahithophel and his, uh, uh, how Ahithophel was using Absalom, uh, Absalom's anger against his father. And Ab Absalom was a very, a very angry man. Very, very angry. And Ahithophel, uh, who was once David's most trusted advisor and had feigned being a, a good advisor until finally Absalom was rising up and Ahithophel was complicit and joined the, the, the insurrection. And so this is the sad account of, of wisdom gone awry because of bitterness. And we can turn over and we'll look at some places back in, in uh, <clears throat> Second Samuel. Chapter 16, we're going to be looking at verses 20 through 23. Now, Ahithophel, I believe, I believe Ahithophel was a Levite. 
I'm not mistaken. I hit the bell. I was thinking he was. I'm thinking he was a, 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 a Levite. Uh, so he was certainly uh, a religious man, so to speak. But it goes on and it says there in the uh, beginning in verse 20. Then said Absalom to Ahithophel, give counsel among you what we shall do. Now, David's already left the city. And uh, those who sided with Absalom have remained and have stayed and David did leave with a pretty sizable entourage, but it wasn't. It was probably less than than a, than a thousand for sure. But verse twenty one says, "And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go in unto thy father's concubines, which he hath left to keep the house. And all Israel shall hear that thou art abhorred of thy father. Then shall the hands of all that are with thee be strong." So they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house, and Absalom went up. Uh, went in unto his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had had in, inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. And so, in other words, they were saying, basically, he was a trusted man. He was a man that could be trusted with uh, God's godly counsel along the way. But looking at the counsel that Ahithophel gave to Absalom, was very godly. In fact, it was atrocious. But it was Ahithophel's attempt to get back at David. But it was also, he knew that it would uh, cause Absalom to be abhorred by his father, which means it would be easier for the men to side with Absalom. So it was, it was a multi-pronged uh, decision that Ahithophel made, and Absalom very foolishly uh, and very naively accepted that counsel. But you look in chapter 17 and verses 1 through 4. It said, moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, let me now choose out 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue after David this night. And I will come upon him while he is weary and, and, and weak-handed and will make him afraid and all the people that are with him shall flee and I will smite the king only. And I will bring back all the people unto thee. The man whom thou seekest is as if all return, so all the people shall be in peace. And the saying pleased Absalom well and all the elders of Israel. So Ahithophel was going to do everything possible. Now, what did, what did David do that had upset Ahithophel so much? Well, first of all, he committed adultery with his, grand, with his grandson, no, granddaughter, granddaughter, uh, with his granddaughter, and she conceived and then he had her husband killed in battle. And Ahithophel knew all of this. Now, he didn't know it was going to happen that way, but he knew what had happened. And he was just simply waiting. And the longer he waited, the greater his anger and the more his hatred. So that he forgot that he was a man of God. He did not allow the divine grace of God to dictate his response. He was going to get even with David at any cost, at any price. And so Ahithophel harbored great hatred towards David for all uh, surrounded David, uh, for all of this surrounded David's adultery and, and the murder of Uriah. Now, God put David's sin aside, and, and uh, it was Nathan the prophet who dealt with David. But Ahithophel knew that God had set it aside because the penalty should have been for both David and Bathsheba. The penalty of death for adultery was in existence at that time. But God, and God can do what God wants to do. He set it aside, 
And uh, David confessed before God that, that he had sinned. He had sinned greatly. But Ahithophel wasn't willing to settle for that. So I'm sure to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and verse 13, just back a couple. You'll see there where God set it aside. Which actually is another way of saying that God forgave David. Um, chapter 12, let me get back to it. <clears throat> 12 verse 13, the Bible says, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Now, the consequences of David's sin, didn't, God didn't set that aside. Because if you were to read on uh, from verse 13, and, uh, and it says, how, how be it? Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And uh, the ultimate report from Nathan was that the sword, the sword of judgment, would not depart from David's house for the rest of his life. So David had to live from that time forward, dealing with the consequences of his sin. So yes, um, sin does change things, as I said on Sunday. It changed a lot for David, didn't it? Uh, he committed adultery. He knew it was wrong. But he allowed lust in his flesh to get the better of him. And as a result of that, David paid a great price in more ways than you and I. More heartache, more heartbreak than you could possibly imagine. And so Absalom also allowed the bitterness of his heart to rise against his father over the rape of his sister Tamar by um, Emnon. Now, the problem with anger un uh, unchecked is that though we may want to do the right thing, Left unchecked, anger wells up and begins to take control of rational thinking and right responses. We become overwhelmed. We become focused on that hatred. And it begins to eat at us like a canker until finally it explodes. And so once Absalom accepted the counsel of Ahithophel, there was no turning back. In fact, once Ahithophel realized that his overall counsel was not fully taken, the opportunity to finally repay David for his sin. Ahithophel went home because he realized that Hushai, who was still in good stead with David, had gone back into the city and he was given, he was actually turning Ahithophel's counsel in reverse and some of the men began to agree with it. With a Hushai as opposed to Ahithophel. Boy, there's a lot of names in this thing, isn't there? A lot of, a lot of component parts in the whole thing there. But, but anyway, Ahithophel began to realize that, okay, because we didn't strike now, while the iron was hot, opportunity is gone. He knew David, and he knew David well. You've got to get David from his blind side. That didn't happen, so what happened to Ahithophel? The Bible says that he went to his home, he put his house in order, and then he hanged himself. Well, that's what anger did to him. It ate him up like a canker. And so you can read about that again in, in 2 Samuel chapter 17 and uh, verse 23. We, we never know where anger unchecked is going to lead us. And so the best thing to do is when we realize that anger, or we're becoming angry, is that we need to back off and, and get along with the Lord. And it says in verse 23, And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and, and, and arose and got him home to his house, to his city, put his house in order and hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. And so words can make or break a person or can make or break a situation. 
And in verse 2 of Psalm 64, we see the consequences of various actions that impacted so many lives, whether it was David's sin or the rejection of how God dealt with that sin by Absalom or Ahithophel. So we typically cannot think clearly. We cannot see clearly. Because unchecked anger blinds us to any or all possible injuries that we may create for others whom we love or are innocent people. Not only do we live in a dark times, but also a, a time when rage and anger, whether it's over infidelity, road rage, politics, or racism, just to mention a few, for a president to tell you he's going to do one thing and do just the opposite. He was going to be transparent. He was going to unite America. I think he meant ignite. He probably put the wrong letter in front of it all. But nonetheless, uh, this is an angry nation. He is pitting one race against another race. One strata of our society against another strata of our society. And so, people are angry today. What do we do with it? How do we handle it? And it is a tragedy when you realize road rage. Someone gets mad and they reach out and they shoot somebody, they kill somebody. Or they run them off the road. Or in the process, they get out and they get hurt in their anger and they've left behind perhaps maybe a wife, left behind a family. So we have to realize that that anger and rage isn't only something that impacts us, it impacts all those around us. Uh, Proverbs says not to, not to, um, something with an angry man, I'm trying to think what that word is. You know what it is? Pardon? Well, that's, that's in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to deal with that in a little bit here, but now there's one back in Proverbs that says, uh, basically it's the idea, I have no dealings with an angry man. Literally. And because his anger is going to boil over. That's why it's important for within the church, if someone begins to, begins to talk about somebody else, cut it off. Because if they're mad or they're angry at that particular person, all they're trying to do is to, to enlist you on their side, to build up a team effort, so to speak. And the best thing to do is say, you know what, this is something, your counselor should be them, you know, this is something that you need to take to the Lord, and I'm willing to pray with you right now about it. They probably won't talk to you more. Uh, about that situation. Hopefully they wouldn't. But not only do we live in, in dark times, but also a time when rage and anger goes on. So God, this is what God says concerning anger. And we need to take it very seriously. Because there's a lot of things to be angry about when you think about it. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27 said, Be angry and sin not. Uh, and uh, let not the sun go down on, on your wrath. But then the next verse he says, Neither give place to the devil. Well, we may not like the counsel of God's word because it runs counter to the way our flesh feels. And so, it is a divine counsel that we tend to put off because it doesn't suit what we want or what we want to do. And so, We may not like the counsel of God's word, but it is divine counsel, and who knows better than God. Now, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. Let's take a quick jump over there, because I want you to see that too, because it's in the same, same context as the overall before that. Ephesians chapter 4. 
Uh, looking in um, verses 31 and 32. It said, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So many times when we get angry, we don't feel that person deserves to be forgiven. Well, who said they don't deserve to be forgiven? Who said you deserve to be forgiven? We didn't deserve to be forgiven. God just out of his love and grace did. When we accepted his son as our personal Lord and Savior, God, God forgave us of that sin, regardless of, of how that sin may have played out in our lives. And so, and even if God doesn't respond as we feel that he should in this lifetime, there is still the day of judgment yet to come. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. So we have to be fully aware that we saw how Absalom, because of the way David failed to act with Amnon concerning Absalom's sister Tamar, and Ahithophel, and how God forgave David, that ate at these two men until they were so totally controlled they couldn't think clearly. They couldn't go before the Lord. If they had, and because they were unwilling to accept God's position on either of those particular cases there, the more they thought about it, the more they became attached to it. And the only way to break away from those things that anger us or those people or those circumstances that anger us is to forgive them and to walk away. Because as long as you constantly run that through your mind and you mull it over and you mull it over and you mull it over, it's just going to become to the point where you can't handle it. And it's going to burst itself forward and you're going to do or say things you probably wish you had never done. And so we have to understand that uh, whether one deserves to be forgiven or not is not the counsel that God provides. If we were to get what we deserved, salvation would not be what we deserve. But for the grace of God, he made it available because of what his son did for us on the cross of Calvary. Mm -hmm. So when we respond in the spirit of the Lord, it differentiates us from the lost world. And that's part of the reason why God wants us to deal with these things that way. There has got to be a difference in how we handle things than the way the world handles things. Amen? Amen. Now, our flesh always wants its pound of flesh somewhere at some particular point in time. But the truth of the matter is, all of our responses have to be different than how the world would handle things. And they will take notice at some particular point. Now, they may not agree with you. They may think you're some sort of a nutcase here. But eventually, uh, as they are tied down to very similar problems and it eats them alive, and there you are with a grin on your face and a spark on your eye and a spring in your step and a, and a song in your heart, amen? And they don't understand that. So should we find ourselves angry, we must not let that anger uh, cause us to sin. So the, when the Bible says, be angry and sin not, uh, the idea is that you know, we, I know I, when you make a mistake, you get angry with yourself. Uh, and sometimes we beat ourselves up as a result of, because we get angry with ourselves. We maybe have stumbled and stumbled. We, we were made a promise to God we're going to do something and we fell and we failed and so on there. And we get angry with ourselves. But you can be angry. You can have the experience because that's an emotion I think that's, that's natural to the flesh. 
But the difference here is that when we do, we must not allow that to lead us to the path of sin, to where we ourselves respond errantly or wrongly. And so the idea of Ephesians 5.27 is to not give Satan a place in our lives with which to launch an all-out destructive attack on our testimony and the work that God has been doing in our lives. So when you allow anger to overwhelm you, then what is the consequence? What is the result? Satan has a foothold. He gets a, a foothold into your life, and once he's got his foothold in there, he's going to keep picking at that until ev eventually you become so infected with that hatred and that, and that anger that you're going to act in a very ungodly fashion. And so Satan began to set things in motion in David's life which bled over to Absalom's and Ahithophel's because David committed adultery and because he didn't act appropriately with, with Amnon's rape of his well, half-sister, uh, Tamar, and he didn't deal with Amnon, then Absalom decided he was going to take things and he killed Amnon. And then he fled, and then he wanted to come back. You know, you go back and read the whole story all the way through... Uh, Second uh, Samuel chapter 12, 13, 14, and even before that, a little bit before that, gives you the whole, whole situation there. And so God wants us to see tonight just how destructive a force anger can be. And he wants us to do the right thing. Let God handle the sinner. Let God handle the person who is not right with God. Because Romans chapter 12 and verse 19, we close with that. Romans chapter 12. We just mentioned it here. And it just simply says there. And dearly beloved. Avenge not yourselves. But rather give place unto wrath. Give place to what means. Move it out of the way. Take care of it. To the Lord Jesus Christ if you will. For it is written. Vengeance, vengeance is mine saith the Lord. I, I, will, I will repay, saith the Lord. Sometimes it's better off just let God handle things. If you know who you are and you know the limits of your, your ability to control your anger or your wrath, the best thing to do is to go punch a tree, find a punch a bag somewhere and make sure it doesn't have two arms and a leg, <laughs> and uh, beat the fire out of a punching bag or just go to your closet and say, Lord, I'm about to lose it. I'm on my way. Lord, I need help. And uh, remember that God can handle them a whole lot better than you and I can. Amen? And when God addresses them and they're not going to respond in this lifetime, there's always that judgment seat, isn't there? Where we must all stand before God and give an account. So don't let anger eat you up. Give it over to God. Forgive, even if they don't deserve it. Because folks, you and I did not deserve to be forgiven. I'm thankful God did. I'm sure you are too tonight as well. All right, well, that's basically, we'll look at uh, Psalm 64 to be next week. The Lord will. But, all right. I want to make sure, yeah, because I want to make sure we have plenty of time. If you didn't get a prayer list, a prayer card here, uh, make sure you, Jack's got one right there.